Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have the second part of our two-part series talking with one of our clients, Peter Hughes from Kakeda Lane Dental to bring you the real story of being in the middle of a transaction and discussing a different take on aggregation models. Now, if you haven't heard part one, highly recommend you head back to your podcast player and go to the episode just before this one and seek out part one of this two-part series. In part one, we looked at the real story of being in the middle of a transaction. We looked at the unique model that Kakeda Lane uses as an aggregator of dental practices. We look at the issues aggregators can have. We look at the practical steps Kakeda Lane take to enhance deal success. We look at valuation models. We look at um, explaining the accounts normalization process. We look at where deals can go wrong. And we give you a lot of insights about the deal process. But today, we are in part two of this two-part series. And today, we look a little bit more at acquisition models. We look at the risks, like, for example, losing high performers. We look at a potential better way to eradicate those risks of acquisition. We discuss the importance of HR advisory and recruitment for aggregators and also for businesses and dental practices as a whole. We look at the benefits of having a larger support team behind a smaller business or practice. We look at how to test an aggregation model. We look at the concept of branding or not rebranding as the case may be. We point out some early wins that Kakeda Lane are experiencing that show how the model is actually working in practice. We look at the short and long-term plans. We look at differences between aggregators in the industry. We also give a client perspective on working with the team over here at Aspect Legal, and we round it up by providing a bit of a cautionary warning for sellers to make the most of your exit price by ensuring that you don't leave it too late. Well, you're in for a fabulous end to our two-part series with Peter Hughes of Kakeda Lane Dental. Buckle in and here we go. I'd like to go back a bit uh, talking about the model that you're using. And maybe before we do that, maybe if you could give us a little bit of a background of where, where were you before um, before you had this idea of Kakata Lane? I've been all over the place, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I've had a bit of a tortuous um, journey. Um, maybe I'll start from an academic standpoint because I, I'm sort of left a field there too. I did... Um, a dual undergraduate degree in architecture and environmental science and um, wow. then did an MBA after that. And I was fortunate to, to win a few awards when I did my, my MBA and um, I was then invited by the university to undertake a doctorate in business administration. So I completed that over a five-year period. So, um, you know, I guess I'm a, a jack of all trades and master of none in many, but... <laughs> 
that's not true at all. I'd say master of them all, but I'm fascinating in your initial studies. I don't think I even knew that. That's uh, that's fascinating, Peter. Yeah, so that uh, I guess the thing that architecture taught me more than anything else was how to problem solve, and that was the, the big take out of that. But I guess from that standpoint, I got into, you know, I, I did practice as an architect. I got into project management and construction, um, and it was mainly funnily enough, geared around big health facilities. So that's where I got my grounding in the healthcare space. And I guess the, one of the largest chunks of my career I spent with a very large Australian company called Lend Lease Corporation. Um, and I was there with them when they become, you know, from a, a standpoint of them being a big Australian company and going on to become a big multinational and global um, enterprise. And I spent 11 and a half years with them and I started off in a business development role and I ended up as the CEO of uh, their global healthcare business. And I've spent three and a half years of my time with them working um, in the United States, living and working in the States. Mm. And I was fortunate enough that I worked with some of the real big names over there, like Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins Medicine, Harvard Health, um, Mass General, UCLA. So I got some fantastic exposure into what was happening um, at the cutting edge in healthcare, and particularly around technology uh, and how technology was going to impact um, patient treatments for, from a number of different standpoints. So yeah, it was a big, lumpy business that I had. Um, I had projects all around the world. Um, you know, off, even back then, just 20 years ago, a lot of those projects were, were valued at well over a billion dollars back then. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a lot of pressure, um, but it it was a real, I guess, you know, point in the sand um, for, for me from a career standpoint because I learned so much um, during my time at Lenlois. And I guess I, I came back to Australia um, after my time with them and did some turnaround assignments in some large research facilities. Did a big project for Epworth Healthcare down here in Victoria and built a new hospital in Box Hill and became the operational CEO of that hospital. Um, and that was, a, again, a very interesting project. Um, even though I'd constructed a whole heap of them, I'd never really run one from, a, uh, from that standpoint. So, again, I learned a lot. But I always had this pension of wanting to um, form and run my own businesses. And I, back in 2005, I formed this group called the Akira Medical Group. And we had two operating divisions. One was um, a fairly much a property-based division where we built, owned and operated large-scale integrated healthcare facilities and medical clinics, mm. and we populated them with um, an array of diagnostic and allied health practitioners to service the needs of GPs who are diagnosing patients in their surgeries with westernised disease states such as obesity, sleep apnea, diabetes, etc. Um, and we created this platform where we could put all the inputs from a patient visit um, into one um, record and send it back to the GPs and sequentially schedule those appointments. So it really made it easy for the um, for the, uh, the patient to, to come to one destination and have a number of um, matters fulfilled in one visit. Um, and the other part of that business was a dental business. And so, um, and that was fueled primarily because we had clinics, dental clinics and our medical facilities. And I didn't think they were run very well. And so I thought I can do a better job than this myself. So for my own division <laughs> and then set about acquiring um, practices around the country. And we received um, an investment into that into that side of the business from a, a large private equity group. 
that really kicked that along at a rate of knots. And um, so that that's how I've, I really got into the healthcare space in a big way and particularly into dental. And that um, business still runs today and is still successfully trading today. Um, but I, again, spent about another 11 and a half, 12 years building that business. And I got to the point where I thought um, I really wanted to do a few other things and, that again, I didn't feel I had the model 100% right in that business because of the sustainability and continuity continuity of earnings um, position. And what was um, what was that model at, at Kieran? That, that was yeah, that was a model where we acquired 100% mm. of uh, practice, and we had um, the principals on an earnout mm. anywhere between usually a two, three, four, five year period. And pending the size of the transaction um, and the parameters around that transaction, but at the end of that earnout, the principal could effectively just get up and walk away. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, there were exclusion zones and uh, restraint areas ge- geographically. But um, you, when you lose a high performer, it can really put a significant dent in the business. So I thought there was a better way of. Mm-hmm. Um, eradicating that risk to a business by creating a, a more of a partnership model with the principals and incentivizing them the whole way through the journey. Even up, you know, if we, we uh, create another exit or liquidity event, um, it will give them the incentive to keep um, performing and growing revenue up to that point and even beyond that point because I have such a strong investment, um, whether that be in a listed company or a larger group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, um, yeah, yeah, I guess giving the incentive because they're participating in, you know, the the end uh, benefit to everyone, I guess, the end growth. Um, and so was, was there anything else that you learnt from that period where you're undertaking all those acquisitions with Akira? So one was, you, you know, this element of the model, but, but what else did you learn over that time? I, I learnt that dentists a lot of dentists love the craft uh, and the practice of dentistry um, but really don't like some of the back-end things that have to occur to support the practice mm. and one of the big bugbears is um, HR issues and recruitment um, and so I really learned um, during my career days that you must have a very strong and well-rounded HR advisory and recruitment component to your business to be able to support the practices and the principles. And we have that now. Um, and I felt it was a failing of my last business that we didn't have that sort of strength um, to support the practices. And a lot of aggregators will say that they've got it, <clears throat> but I know a lot of them haven't. And mm. we we demonstrate what we've got um, just about every day um, to, to our principles. And I think it's a real strong point. And, and the other, I guess the other things are, you know, the financial reporting and the payroll management, um, keeping up with changes in um, award rates for staff, um, IT issues, you know, uh, landscape changes so significantly so quickly, um, equipment issues, um, you know, support for CapEx and, and new technology. So I think there's a lot of elements there that, um, you know, if you've got a, a solid corporate group behind you can really help you run a very efficient practice. And I think coming back to the HR um, standpoint, one of the things that I've really learned is 
is the you need to have the, the appropriate structure um, from a human resource standpoint within the practice. So we found a lot of practices are overstaffed. They don't have their staff on um, the right sort of contracts mm. or agreements. And so the, their, their labour rates are excessive and it really hurts the profitability of the practice. And just with a few tweaks here and there and, and a bit of restructuring, we can create um, a far greater and more efficient um, use of resources. And I guess finally, one of the things that you do get from critical mass is procurement efficiency and mm. You can certainly leverage um, suppliers, um, particularly around consumable products and laboratory prosthetics to a significant degree, and you can create um, mass savings through the group um, that can be passed down through the practices. So, um, And you only get that from, from size and, and the relationships you build with your suppliers. I just, you know, I, lo- I love it. I love anything that's a new model and a new way of approaching things. But, you know, I, I particularly love, um, you know, the model that you're talking about here, doing something a bit different. But did you have to, I mean, how did you test the model? How did you um, know that this was a model that was going to work? A good question. Um, before um, I even sat down to write the formal business plan for this, I actually consulted with about 30 to 40 dental practitioners, <clears throat> some who'd been acquired by corporates, some who were running standalone practices, um, some that were in um, advisory roles. And, and I just canvassed what I was attempting to do and asked them, one, do you think this would work? Is it a good idea? Where should I attenuate it, um, change it, add or take things from it um, to make it really attractive to a practitioner? So I, I guess I road tested it um, to to some degree before I sat down and wrote a plan around it. So I had a fairly good feel about what would work and what wouldn't work before I actually embarked upon activating anything. There is one other thing that I learned too, and that's about branding. Um some corporates go out and they, they totally rebrand everything from day one. Mm. In my view, I think, one, it's unnecessary, and two, it erodes um, a lot of the goodwill that's been built up in that practice name immediately, um, and you just don't get the benefit from, you know, the trading that's gone on. Mm. Um, and often when a patient sees a practice has been taken over, by someone else and it's got different colours and different names on it, it creates anxiety. And, you know, one of the primary reasons people don't go to the dentist in this country is anxiety, fear and cost. Mm. So you don't want to give the impression that you've changed anything um, initially. It can be done far more softly and in a a slower way uh, that brings everyone along um, rather than take the hammer out and smash up a new sign um, from day one. I love it. That's such a good point. Mm. Um, It's such a good point and rarely commented on actually. So, I, you know, I I just, it's quite innovative looking at it from that perspective. And one of the other things that, you know, I guess you're sort of early on in the modelling that, you you know, um, there's quite a few acquisitions that um, you've done so far, but you have a long runway for the future. But what, maybe if we can talk about some initial wins. So what are some things that you can see from some of these initial practices 
that you've acquired so far that are really, you know, that are really now starting to show um, show how the model works? Look, I think um, one of the things that, you know, we're able to do from from day one is I can see when I look at a set of financials where the soft spots are and where we can refine things to create a far better uplift um, for the participants involved. I think, and around that out, we have a very good um, marketing division in our company that's very, very skilled in all aspects of print, digital, verbal, written media that can really elevate um, and attract additional patient volumes to the practice. And we we devise programs that are site-specific around specific spheres of dentistry, or they can be umbrella policies that we put across the whole group um, and make available to everyone. But I think that's another area that obviously a dentist owner may not have a lot of skill in, mm. but it's something our team does and it complements the, all the other things that we do in the practice. So in terms of early wins, yeah, we've, we've been able to acquire practices at an agreed maintainable EBITDA, and we've been able to substantially increase that number, even within a 12-month period, mm-hmm. just through some rational thinking and some you know, application of marketing, et cetera, that's created no stress, no drama on the principal, apart from the fact that they might need to hire another dentist or another hygienist <laughs> or OHD. Because to cope with all the new business. The new business <laughs> coming in. So, but we do that anyway for them. So, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and so what's the long-term plan, Peter? What's, you know, what does this, what, what does a short-term and then, you know, long-term mm. future look like in your mind? The short-term is to keep sourcing, you know, I guess, practices that are attractive to us to come into the group that will complement the skills that we've got. And I, I think the other point of differentiation that we've got is a lot of other aggregators will only acquire general restorative practices, whereas we take on board specialist practices, whether they're endodontic, orthodontic, oral surgical, etc., because our model can facilitate taking that type of practice on board. And we see that as highly beneficial because it creates an opportunity to inter-refer amongst the group. So there's no patient leakage outside to an external practice because we can usually cope with what's required from the skills that reside within the group. But so short term is to keep building the way we're doing, to keep refining, to more fully automate our processes and systems because that creates less stress on resourcing. And we've spent a lot of time already doing that. But I guess guess the end point is to try and create enough volume from, I guess, a practice number perspective and an EBITDA perspective to be able to create an attractive um, initial public offering and to list this group to really create the wealth and the upside for the participants that have you know, come to us and, and trusted us to help them um, realise their ambitions. Love it. Absolutely love it. And actually, I've got a um, sort of a side question here, but it's back to this whole branding discussion we had, but a little bit of a different take on it. Um, I think it'd be interesting if we can just talk about from a branding perspective where the name came from, Kikata Lane. I knew you were going to ask me this one. When I was writing this business plan, I thought, well, I really wanted to be a disruptive influence to all the other 
comfortable aggregators out there. Love it. And, and to create <laughs> something that um, was a little bit different. So create a bit of noise in the industry. And I thought, well, what's a noisy, annoying thing? And I often sat out in my backyard and in summer and listened to cicadas <laughs> and they just, you know, are in your ear uh, while you're sitting there trying to have a quiet drink and a conversation. And I thought, I, I don't think I could actually call a company cicada. So, <laughs> So what's something that sounds like cicada? And that's how I came up with cicada. cicada. And obviously the last three letters of cicada are ADA, which is Australian Dental Association. Not that I'm stealing anything from them. but uh, And then I thought, well, with cicada, I really want to go on a new journey. So how do you travel somewhere? Well, you either go on a road or you go a laneway. So I, I tacked the name lane onto the end of it. So I created something that, I guess had some meaning to me, but also it was trademarkable. Um, oh, I was going to say, like you've you've you just nailed it, Peter, in terms of a trademarkable, protectable mark, which yes. um, you know, which is important because there can be, uh, you know, in this industry, many industries, a habit of picking names that are fairly generic and descriptive. I just love it when people go against the grain and come up with something that's creative, Peter, very creative. <laughs> well, here's a lesson I learned from um, a communicational marketing expert and. Because uh, I I thought up the name Akira too when I, I was there, and mm. um, everyone asked me where that came from, and I just said I dreamed it up, and I, there was no story behind that. But I, the thing that this communicational consultant told me he said if you can use the letter K in a name and keep it short, people remember it. Wow, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, and we might and have to rebrand, Peter. It's all, it's Alpha, all, not you. You've yeah. got it. I've got two Ks in mine. Yeah, but, but that yeah. resonated with me. So, <laughs> yeah. fascinating. I net literally, I've heard a lot in marketing. Never heard that one. I love it. Love it. Okay, yeah. K, K, and keep it short. There you go, listeners. You've got some trademark uh, branding tips here today as well. There you go. That's right. <laughs> okay, I love it. I love it, Peter. I just, I love what you're doing. I love being on the journey with you. Um, and I love someone who enjoys creating the process and innovating it with me as well because I'm big into um, into that side of things. But yeah, I, I love where you're going and I just really wanted to dig into this story today. And I think what we might even do is we'll have you back in 12 months time and we'll do a recap. Where are we at now? And oh, um, <laughs> Hopefully down the line a bit further. Down the lane. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. And maybe uh, a bit of a different year to 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's hope so. Eh? Uh, yeah. Look, I'd just like to give you a plug too, Joe. I mean, you have come on the journey with us. And you are, for anyone out there, the Aspect Legal Team is an absolutely excellent law firm to work with. They're very responsive, very supportive, and their work's exemplary. So, um there's a shout out for oh, you. Oh, Peter, that's so sweet. I, I wasn't, uh, well, look, that's just really sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, look, I just want to say um, an absolute massive thank you for coming onto the show. Look, we have a lot of accountants who are listening in and a lot of dental practice owners. So, look, if any of them, you know, if any of these accountants sort of identify within their client base some um, practices that they think really should be talking to you, I guess, first thing, number one, what do you think is something that will help them identify who it is that might be a really good fit um, with you? And number two, how do they contact you? Yeah, look, I think um, we've, we've obviously firstly got a website, Um 
my t- mobile number is 0417 I'm always willing to talk to anybody at any time. <clears throat> um, but I think multi-chair, multi-fee earning um, practitioner practices are attractive to us. But I think one of the, the cautionary things I would suggest <clears throat> to anyone out there thinking of selling or, or being acquired is to not leave it too late because you don't want to leave it to the point um, to you, you reach retirement and then there's nothing there at the end um, for anybody. We find the, the best practices for us are the ones where the practitioners are in the prime of their career. They've got 20 years of work in front of them, real fire in the belly to want to perform and they just go gang, um, gangbusters. So they're the ones that are really great for us. Mm, brilliant. Absolutely love it. Wonderful. And we'll put a link in our show notes Of course. Um, So if you're uh, running along the beach or doing whatever you're doing, you're listening to this podcast, um, you can just click into the links and you'll get through to Peter or Kikeda Lane and the team to express your interest. So Peter, once again, I just want to say an absolutely massive thank you for giving up your time to come to chat to us today on the podcast. I loved it. I hope you had a bit of fun too. I did. It's a pleasure. Well, that's it for our two-part series, all about taking a different look at aggregation models with our client, Peter Hughes of Kakeda Lane Dental. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, just head over to the show notes or to our website at thedealroompodcast.com, where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in finer detail. There, you'll also be able to link through to Peter Hughes and Kakeda Lane Dental. And of course, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. And finally, if you have enjoyed what you heard today, then don't forget to press subscribe on your favorite podcast player and maybe even consider popping over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.